praying in a certain place. And again, that's just a, a little comment. It, it happens all the time. We, he seems to be praying. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And that was a template. That was a template uh, for, how to, for how to pray. And, and in order for us to pray, to be honest, we need to be desperate enough. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm not desperate... I can rely on myself or life to get me by. But when I'm desperate enough, I pray. Now, this is a completely original illustration um, that came to me directly myself, not from anywhere. I emphasize that. Um, imagine um, if I'm at home and uh, it's late at night and there's a knock on my door. And it's a friend who's come from a long distance who I haven't seen for ages. And he says, I'm really, really hungry. And, um, and I suddenly think, oh, no, I'm actually um, trying to lose weight at the moment. So I have nothing in the fridge and nothing in the freezer and nothing anywhere else. And I'm thinking, my friend is really hungry and I've got nothing to give him. Because I'm absolutely desperate and I know that I haven't got the resources, I think, who has? And I think, I know who has. My next door neighbors on the left, Paul and Alice, I know their fridge is always full, but it's coming up to midnight you see, this is really original, great illustration that I just thought up myself. And it's coming up to midnight. And I think, I've, I'm so desperate. So I start knocking on the door. And they shout, Pilavachi, it's midnight. Go away. But I'm so desperate for my friend because my friend, I mean, he may pass out if he doesn't eat. Because that's what I do when I don't eat. You know, if I mean... It's just awful. There's nothing worse. So I keep knocking. I say, please, I'm desperate. And then eventually they get up. And because I will not stop, because of my bold persistence, they say, what do you want? And I say, show me your freezer, show me your fridge. I will take it. And I want to say to you that that's how it works. We know when we know, I have, we have a world that's in need, a world that is in need. We don't have the resources. We can't make it happen. But we know who can. And so we go to the one who can. And Jesus says, bold persistence is what does it. And then, having stolen my illustration in Luke 11 he then says so I say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened so what he's saying 
What he's saying, even though your, your neighbor would be reluctant and you keep going, when you come to your father, he's not reluctant. That's what he's saying. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And then he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, and if we put the version in Matthew and the version in Luke together, uh, give the gifts of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And it's not just in Luke. I just want to read you when I find it. I just want to read you just a few places in John's gospel. Uh, And this is, um, John's put this as one uh, uh, conversation that Jesus has. It may have been different ones, but it's all one. Listen, Listen to the amount of times Jesus says the same thing. And I've discovered when Jesus keeps repeating himself, it's because he wants us to hear Now, this is a deep theological truth I'm giving you right now. When Jesus repeats himself, it's because he really wants us to hear. Uh, John 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, when I read that, I want to put provisos on it. Whoa, 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 that's just over the top, Jesus. That's, you might, anything, a Porsche, um, win the lottery, I've got to enter it first. Um, what, what do you mean, anything? Hold on, that's what he says here. And what he's trying to say is, you're, you're knocking at an open door. You're knocking at an open door. I am the how much more God. Your father is the how much more father. And then we turn the page and in uh, John 15 verse 7, he says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And And what he's saying here is, here's one of the secrets. And it's not that he's reluctant. It's that he wants to get us in the right place so that we do business with him. And we don't do business as a transaction. I shouldn't have said do business. It's like a child with a father. It's like a child with a father. When, um, you know, you see kids, when they're young, and, and, and they're hungry, or they're thirsty, or they want something, they, they, they ask, and they don't imagine that it'll be no. And But what Jesus is saying here is, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, that means, as you pray, the closer you get to me, the, clo- the, more, the more you spend time in my presence, the more you carry my presence, the more what you want will be what I want. The more the things that you long for will be the things I long for. And you see, 
it took me ages to discover that prayer isn't actually us trying to change a reluctant God and twist his arm. And if I just put enough hours in, then you're going to change your mind. It's in prayer, God changes us so that we cooperate with him. And more and more, the things we ask for are the things that he absolutely, totally, and utterly longs to give us. And then in John 15, uh, he says, he carries on, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Again, he says it again. When he keeps repeating it, it means that he means it. It means that he means it when he keeps repeating it. And, and in this context, the fruit is the fruit of answered prayer. You know, there's the fruit of the Spirit, which we all want to grow in. But in this context, it's the fruit of answered prayer. Then here's one more. If you turn the page, uh, John 16, um, he says this. <clears throat> Very truly I tell you, verse 23b, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Do you know, I don't know a a joy quite like the joy of receiving an answered prayer when you're desperate and you thought there's no other way and and he does it he does it it is the most unbelievable thing when that happens and uh, just one one little example of that when this was from years ago and it's happened ever since but I tell you this because this was right at the beginning of when we started our church in Watford and we were literally just starting the festivals and we had nothing. When we started our church, there was 11 of us and uh, there are three of us earned a salary and the rest were, had been in my youth group when I was youth leader uh, in Chorley Wood and came over with me to start the church. And we got to the stage when there was about 30 of us and uh, we would do an outreach, which we called Dreg's Cafe, on a Friday night. We would uh, hire um, a school hall on a Sunday night to do church. And then we would hire another that we hired three times. We didn't have a building, obviously, um, uh, for a Wednesday night to meet together in, in, in groups. And um, we used to hire the PA and the lighting for the Friday night and the Saturday night. And there was a guy who was 19 at the time. Uh, in our church called Dave Mitchell. He's, he's in, still in our church. Um, it's Emma's husband, those of you that come with me. And, uh, and um, he, he, used to, he used his dad's car, and he would get the, get the PA and the lighting from, um, uh, from the, the company, uh, load it into the car, we'd set it up, then at the end we'd put it back. And there was one night when uh, he got home, and it was midnight when he got home, And he was just too tired, he felt, to take the equipment from the car and put it in the house. And he backed the car against the garage. In the morning, Saturday morning, he found that they'd broken into the car and they'd stolen all the PA 
and it was worth three and a half thousand pounds. And because it was left in the car, it wasn't insured. Now, at that point, there was hardly any of us. And he phoned me and he said, what, 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 what do I do? What, what do we do? And I said, I don't know. Let's not tell anyone for a couple of hours. I just, I just need to pray. And I'll be honest, I, I did pray, God, you've got to provide. But it was desperate. And I, I was saying, Lord, if a miracle doesn't happen, we're finished before we start. Because we haven't got three and a half thousand pounds. I mean, there's hardly any of us that earn a salary. We just haven't got the money. I, I don't know what to do. And I promise you, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. I had a phone call from a guy, a businessman, who'd just recently become a Christian a few months earlier. I think I can tell you who it is. Have you heard of the entertainer toy shops? Yeah? Well, it's, uh, it was Gary Grant who owns the entertainer toy shops. And he was just starting out then. And uh, I knew him a little bit uh, uh, from, it doesn't matter where from. And then, um, and then he phoned me and he said, this is weird. I've never done this before. This is absolutely true. We've got the receipts. Um, he said, uh, I've never done this before, but I was driving from one of my shops uh, down the A41 to another of my shops and God spoke to me, and this has never happened to me before. And I had to uh, stop the car and pull over. And God said to me that I was to phone you straight away and say to you that today I'm putting a check in the post for you for three and a half thousand pounds. And there is a message that comes with the check. And the message from God is this never let money. Stop what you're doing with young people. Now, even as I say it now, it was unbelievable. And do you know what? The joy of the, the three and a half thousand pounds was one thing. The utter joy, the utter joy of God. You, you provide. You look after. We, I, we called out to you. We were desperate. We knew we didn't have the resources, and you did it. And you know what? Ever since, that's been the thing that we would always remind ourselves of. It's, it's, our, it's our version of the Ebenezer Stone. You know, it's, it's, it's our, you are faithful, and he's proved himself faithful so many times ever since in all sorts of ways. And he looks after his children. But he wants us, he wants us as children to call out to him, to, to long for him, to knock on the door of heaven. And this has been the story of the church from the very beginning. You know, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, suddenly the Holy Spirit came and filled them and filled the early Christians with his presence. God sent his spirit. But do you know where it began? They'd been praying for days. They'd been praying. And then the Holy Spirit came. They were in the upper room. And ever since, if that's for me, I'm not in. Um, and ever since, ever since, uh, when we've seen revivals, when God has moved in, in our world or in this country, it, it's always when the situation is so bad 
that the church is utterly desperate, that God raises a few people who just, who just pray. You know, in, um, 17, it's the 18, in the 18th century, I always get it wrong, um, uh, England was drunk on gin. Uh, it, everyone had turned away from God. And you know what happened? God raised up a small group initially of men and women who loved him and who loved this country. And uh, they included John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and others. And they rode the length and breadth of this country proclaiming the gospel. And uh, John Wesley was banned from churches. So he went and stood in fields and he stood in marketplaces and he stood on top of hills and, uh, and he preached the gospel. And, um, and, and do you know, the country was changed. France had a revolution. England had a revival. And I love reading John Wesley's journals. I mean, they're just crazy. And uh, Whitfield wrote his own journals. Now, George Whitfield was a great preacher. He was a great orator. They said he was like an actor, the way he, he, he expressed things. Charles Wesley was a brilliant hymn writer. John Wesley was not such a great preacher. But you know what? God was doing stuff when he preached. People came to salvation. And people asked him after a while, what's the secret? And what they meant was, you don't sound that good, but, but there's all this fruit. And do you know what he said? He said, I go and I stand in a field. I set myself on fire and I let people watch me burn. Now, I, careful, it doesn't mean he literally lit a match. It means just with the fire of God in his heart. And that's what does it. That's what does it. And what was the secret of that revival? I'll tell you, the secret can be found in John Wesley's journal, the entry dated the 1st of January, 1761, I think it is, I'm not absolutely certain of the date, but I think it's 1761. John Wesley said these words, Mr. Hall, Hutching, Hitching, Ingram, Whitfield, and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. At three o'clock in the morning, as we continued instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch as many cried out with exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. Don't you love that English understatement? Many, when we were recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we cried out with one voice, we praise thee, O God, we acknowledge thee to be the Lord. On New Year's Eve, when the rest of the country was drunk on gin, 60 of them gathered in a room in Fetter Lane in the city of London. I've been to Fetter Lane. I walked up and down just in case I got the anointing. I didn't. But I, 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 it's just this narrow little lane. It's still there. And do you know, it began as they prayed, God answered. Just it was their Pentecost. One more story, and I'm coming into land. We're nearly landed, so be ready with communion. Um, and, and, uh, and I love this. I love the story of the revival in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland. It was from 1949 to 1953. And, uh, 
uh, it's an amazing story, and it's based mainly on the island of Lewis. And uh, the story is, I've, I've listened to old tapes of the islanders telling the story. You can listen to some of it on YouTube. And uh, Duncan Campbell, who was the minister who was the, humanly the one that seemed to be uh, there leading the revival, you, some of his sermons are amazing. Is it just me, or have you noticed that, that preachers who preach with a broad Scottish accent sound a lot more spiritual and holy? Have you, is it just me? They sound more authentic. Oh, it's just... It doesn't sound the same when we say it, but, but he was the human agent of the revival. And you know what? That island turned back to God. People had turned away, and they turned back to God. Do you know what the secret was of that revival? It wasn't Duncan Campbell's preaching. The secret was this. Two old ladies, Peggy Smith, 84 years old and blind, her sister Christina, 82 years old, and bent double with arthritis. They loved God, and they loved their island, and they, there was, they couldn't do anything else. They couldn't do street theater. They couldn't do Christian mime or a Christian dance. They, one was blind, the other couldn't walk, so they did the only thing they could do. Day after day after day, the two of them prayed. They knocked on the door of heaven, they knocked on the door of heaven, and then God answered, and everything happened. And I love this story, because I've noticed those who are prayer warriors, they, they have a, um, a fearlessness that comes from knowing God intimately, that's a bit scary. And, uh, and in the middle of this revival, Peggy Smith sent a message to Duncan Campbell, the pastor, asking him to come to their house. And he came. And she said, um, Mr. Campbell, I have been in prayer, and the Lord has spoken to me for you. And you are to go um, to such and such a village. You're to hire the hall. You are to preach the gospel. Seven young men will respond. And all those seven young men God will use in full-time ministry in revival. And Duncan Campbell said, thank you for that, Miss Smith, but I can't go at the moment because um, I'm already booked to speak in a town, uh, I think it was Barvas, the town, um, where, um, where a lot is already happening. I will go as soon as I'm able to, but I can't go yet. Peggy Smith said, this is absolutely true, she said, Mr. Campbell, I shall pray for you now. She didn't close her eyes because she was blind. But she prayed, and this is what she prayed. She said, Lord God, would you have mercy on Mr. Campbell? He does not seem to want to obey you this day. Will you cause him to repent of his sin and do what you command him? What do you think he did? He canceled the meeting. He went to that village. He hired the hall. He preached the gospel. He said, he closed his eyes, he said, we're going to pray. And he said, if anyone wants to respond to the, the gospel, then can you come and stand behind the curtain? And I will come to you presently. After a while, he went behind the curtain. And there, quietly weeping, were seven young men. 
That's what can happen. And, it, it, you know, and there is a mystery. Sometimes we knock and we knock and we knock and we don't understand. But, you know, when we start, when we, when we trust that his, his heart is to answer prayer, his heart is, is for us to cooperate with him. I think it was John Wesley that said, God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Now, that's an exaggeration. Uh, and I've noticed these great people, they always exaggerate everything. So I try and exaggerate everything so I could be great. But it doesn't really work with me. But I just want to encourage you. We're knocking with our Father at an open door. At an open door. He wants, he wants us to call out to him with childlike faith. Not childish, but childlike. And now what we're going to do is we're going to break bread together as his children and then we're going to see what he does next.